0: You're listening to the weekly podcast by Forest Hill Church. Here you'll find a place to grow in your faith, get to know what the Bible's all about, and hear what it looks like to follow Christ. To watch our services live or find the campus nearest you, visit foresthill.org. If you're a parent, search for our new Forest Hill Parenting Podcast and subscribe to get new content tailored just for you.
1: You. There's only one you. You are unique. You are created and gifted in a way specific to you. God made you on purpose, for purpose. And it's something bigger than you can imagine. It's a call out of the ordinary to know God more fully. You are unique, but you are not alone. What if God took a bunch of yous and brought them together as we... A weed that has a faith that is more than just a place to go on Sundays. A church that isn't defined by a building, but by the way its people love the world. A weed that grows more deeply with God and sees Him affect the way they live. A real community of gospel centered believers reaching into our communities. What impact could we have in our city? What happens to poverty, illiteracy, and upward mobility in Charlotte if we stepped into it? What happens if we go into our schools, workplaces, neighborhoods with the mindset of missionaries? And what if it didn't stop there? What if God is calling us to change the world, to fight poverty both here and abroad, to grow churches at home and the ends of the earth, to speak the name of Jesus to those who have never heard of it? What if God is calling us to a whole new place, a purpose so big that only God can do it? It's something bigger, it's something real something more and something good and it starts with you
0: today begins a new day in the life and ministry of Forest Hill a new vision a new impetus and a new focus and we want to invite you should god so call you To be a part of it. Uh, This past week, I was reading a quote from a very famous preacher from the 1800s named Charles Spurgeon. And he said this that was compelling. He said, If you're a Christian and you're not a missionary, you're an imposter. Ouch. Let me say it again. If you are a follower of Jesus and you're not a missionary, You're an imposter because every follower of Jesus is called to be a missionary, wherever you may be. Your workplace, your neighborhood, your exercise places, your mission field is between your feet. You are called to go, not stay. You're called to give your life away, not be comfortable. Jesus said you'll find yourself when you lose yourself in something greater than yourself. Today we want to challenge all of you, and indeed over the next several weeks, to find a life that's bigger than where you presently are, a life that's more than just accumulating more, a life that's real, meaningful, authentic, a life that's good because the good God of this universe has called you into his ministry to be his missionary. Because, again, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're not a missionary with his heartbeat in the world, you're an imposter. So today, I want to give you the first message in this It series, the It experience. Find yourself in It. Find a life that's bigger than what you have. A life that's more real, good, in ways you never dreamed possible. Did you know God has a plan for your life? Did you know God created you? in your specific way, with your genetic makeup, at this point in history, to accomplish his purposes through you. Before the world was ever created, he wanted you to be his missionary to help change the world for his purposes. You're not an accident. You're not here by fiat. You are here by the purposes of God, planned before the world was ever created think about that he has good works that only you can do planned before the world was ever created think about that let's jump into today's message looking at god's story a little bit of my story his story for you and his plan for your life out of reverence for the reading of the scripture if you're able would you please stand several scripture that will make sense as i walk through the message this is the word of the lord First, from Joshua 1-9, the text I used my first sermon here at Forest Hill 38 years ago. From Joshua 1-9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I had this big dream. In 1980, that this small little church of 100 people could change the world for Jesus, and God gave me this cha- this verse: "Don't be discouraged. Dream big. I'll be with you wherever you go." Romans 1:16, the verse I chose when I was ordained into the gospel ministry. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The world can do a lot of things better than the church, serving the poor, giving their lives away in some ways. But what the world does not have that the church has is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The world cannot forgive people's sins. It cannot give them new hope and new life. The gospel does that. And I'm not ashamed of it, to preach it faithfully as often as I have breath. The third verse from Jeremiah 1.5 The call of this great prophet of God. God said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. I've clung to this verse for years, and I want you to as well. Let's reread it in a different way. God's saying to you and to me today, before I formed you In the womb, I knew you. Now speak your name. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I set you apart for a calling. Speak your name. I appointed you to be a blank to the nations. God has a call on your life, folks. The word of the Lord you may be seated God has a story and it is revealed in the Bible this book is not a science book it's not a history book it is a book about salvation it's a book about how to spend eternity with God that's what the whole story is about this story that's revealed in the Bible is God's story It has four parts to it. In case you don't know, here's part one, creation, Genesis 1 and 2. And creation after completion was good. It was operating just as God desired it. The second part of God's story is the fall, Genesis 3. Every part of God's once good world was saturated with sin, shattered with sin. Everything was not operating now as God intended. So God had a plan for trying to redeem the world, bring people back into a relationship with him so we can spend eternity with him. He called a man named Abraham in Genesis 12. He formed a nation called Israel. And from Genesis 12 to Malachi is the story of God's people in God's story. People call the Jews. And it shows how they were faithful in some ways, they were disastrously unfaithful in other ways. And they ultimately fell under the judgment of God. Then 400 years passes, and the next part of the story is the redemption of God. So you have creation, fall, and the redemption beginning with Abraham, continuing through Jesus. God wanted to redeem us all, so God became one of us. And he lived the perfect life none of us can because our lives have been shattered with sin. He died on the cross to forgive us of our sins and gives us the gospel, the good news that now through him our sins are forever forgiven. We can now have a renewed relationship with God, we're redeemed, and we'll spend eternity with him. And God unleashes all of his people, now called Christians, through a church, a community of Christians together, into the world to advance his redemptive kingdom. That we are to try as best we can to restore what was broken and lost in Genesis 3. We're to work hard among the poor. We're to pray for the sick. We're to care for the needy. And we're to help try to advance the kingdom of God, what operates in heaven perfectly that doesn't operate perfectly here. And then we live in the hope of the fourth part of God's movement in his story called Restoration. So you have creation, fall, redemption through Jesus, the church, and restoration. That means that one day Jesus is going to come back again. The one who was dead, raised from the dead, ascended to heaven will one day come back again. Do you believe Jesus will come back again? Do you believe that? Give God great applause. Great applause if you believe that because here's what's behind it. Jesus will come back to restore Genesis 1 and 2. He, God's story is Jesus will come back again as the church tries to advance the kingdom. At some point, he'll come back and complete that work and restore everything that God made good in Genesis 1 and 2. So you see the movements in the story? In the Bible, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. That's a biblical worldview. That's what God intends the Bible to tell us. It is God's story. Now, the biblical characters in God's story are their stories in God's story. It is Adam and Eve and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Esau and all the patriarchs and all the kings and all the prophets, they're a part of God's story in the New Testament. It's Jesus, the apostles, the early church. They're all a part of God's story. So when you read biblical characters in the Bible, you're seeing their story in God's story. Now you have a story that should be in God's story. That's what's going to happen until Jesus returns. He's going to create your story as a part of God's story to be a part of the redemption of this world through Jesus' kingdom. Now, to make my point, let me start with my story. Some of you know it. Most of you don't. Here's my story. My earliest remembrance is me as a four-year-old, as a preacher's kid, with my dad's Bible under my arm, his hat on my head, and a picture of me smiling at the camera. And everybody looked at it and said, oh, that is so sweet. You're going to be just like your daddy. And I said, no way. I've seen how many times my dad has come home with his heart hurting after having to deal with church people, no offense, and and saying to myself, I don't want any part of that. But I had that sense of God's oversight in my life even at the age of four. I, I never went through much of a rebellious time. Marilyn and I are such an interesting couple because, you know, I was raised in the faith. She, she was too, but she had a point in her life where she was an atheist. She rejected God. She stiff-armed him and said, I don't want any part of you. And then had a dramatic conversion where she came to grips with her sin and received Jesus as her Lord and Savior. I just always had this sense of God. And my guess is you're at one of those two places in your own story. Either a dramatic conversion or you're just raised in the faith. And both are valid in ways you come to Jesus. Uh, The next part of my story I remember is as I grew up and went into my teen years, I was painfully shy. I mean, so shy I never wanted to speak publicly, ever. And indeed, as I entered my teen years, I grew taller and taller and got thinner and thinner. Sophomore year in high school, I was 6 feet 5 inches tall, 150 pounds. Yeah, you groan grown too. You can feel my pain. I, I heard every skinny joke imaginable. You know, turn sideways, stick out your tongue, David, you look like a zipper. You know, how funny, ha ha. You know, you take a shower, you got to put a plug in the drain so that you don't go down with the water as it goes down the drain. You know, it's so many skinny jokes, I heard them repeatedly. And I just didn't want to ever do anything publicly until something saved my life. And many of you are saying, Jesus. And I go, basketball. It was basketball. I fell in love with this game. And my dad moved me, we were living in Kansas City in my sophomore year in high school, to Orlando, Florida. And he said, Son, I know this is hard for you. To make it a little bit easier, I'll buy for you a 1959 Volkswagen Beetle. And I took the bait. But, folks, have you ever been finally six feet, eight inches tall and trying to get into a Volkswagen Beetle? I mean, you need a can opener in order to get me in. But I enjoyed having that car for a while. Spent my junior and senior years in high school in Orlando, Florida. And something happened between my sophomore and junior years. I suddenly got to my present height. I started filling out. And I got really good in basketball. And I started playing in front of a lot of people. My confidence began to soar. And people started recruiting me for my basketball ability. Now, confession's good for the soul, so I might as well tell you this. My dad went to Duke Divinity School. And for my high school years, I was a rabid, avid... Oh, gosh. Yeah, I know it's hard. Um, come on, cheer me on, give me some help here. I was a rabid, avid Duke University basketball fan. My heart even hurts to be able to tell you that. And then Duke signed a guy at my position and quit recruiting me. But North Carolina kept on recruiting me. And finally, Dean Smith came to my home and sat down and offered me a scholarship. I took that Carolina blue pen, and folks, let me tell you something. In one stroke of my name, writing across that scholarship contract, I went from darkness, (laughs) following a devil, (laughs) to God's marvelous light, Because if God's not a Tar Heel, why is the sky Carolina blue, right? You got it? So I became a totally devoted follower of UNC. And I played four years there. And just to prove to you that I did do that, there's my North Carolina basketball card. My hair was a little bit darker then. I was in good shape, you know? And I had a good career there. Really enjoyed it for years. Not a great player, but I contributed to some wins and some successes. Then, after that, uh, I graduated and I went to play in the European professional leagues. I played in Ostend, Belgium for one year, finally decided I didn't want to go back. It was really cold. I mean, cold beyond words. So, I joined an American touring team and we went to Nice, France on the French Riviera and we played a game there and I had one of those games of my life. I could have drop kicked the ball and it would have gone into the basket. Immediately thereafter, the two directors of the team signed me to a contract to play on the French Riviera as a bachelor. I mean, somebody has to do it, folks. Don't you know, missionary, call upon my life anyway. I want to show you a picture of what went on right after I signed. That's me in the middle, long hair, mutton chops. Later, I grew a few Manchu mustache. My mom saw it and said, cut your hair, boy. You know, she didn't like that one bit, Um, but I guess that was the style then. I even had platform shoes that I wore. I was seven feet tall with the platform shoes. It was really kind of fun. And, you know, really bottom line, everybody wore long hair then. I mean, that's a picture from the 70s. Now people just get tattoos. For you who are younger raising children, I don't know what your children are going to do in order to express themselves, but that's what happened back then. So I played two years in Nice, France, and actually I signed a contract to play a fourth year, came back to the States, was at the North Carolina basketball camp being a counselor, and I got a telegram from the people in Nice that said, we have signed another player to your position, sorry, contract void. I said, are you kidding me? Now, now, looking back, the player they signed was really better than I was. They should have signed him. But I, at the moment, I felt rejected. What are you doing, Lord? I mean, my fourth year, come on, I was going to have a blast and a great team and all that. So suddenly, I'm without a purpose. What am I going to do? So John Lotz, who was the assistant coach at North Carolina, had become the head coach at the University of Florida. So I called John, a real dear friend. I said, John, do you have anything available? He said, you know, David, the only thing that would be available is an internship, an assistantship as a graduate student. He said, but I just gave it away to another player that I just coached last year, and I just don't have anything. But if something becomes available, I'll call you. The next day he calls me back. Says, you're not going to believe this. But the guy just walked into my office and said, I don't want the graduate assistantship. Do you want it? I said, I sure do. And he said, well, get in the car and come up here immediately. So I got in my car, drove from Orlando, where I was at that point, visiting my parents up to Gainesville, Florida. And I met with John. He said, David, this is July. You need a graduate degree in order to be a graduate assistant. What do you want to study? And I kind of went, counseling? Just just blurted it out. I hadn't really thought about it. And he said, well, you know, the counseling program has 1,000 applicants, and they take every one for 1,000 applicants. And my heart sunk. I went, oh, now what do I do? And he said, but, you know, the head of the Gainesville Tip-Off Club is also the head of the graduate counseling program and one of my closest friends. So he was able to speed up the process and get me in. So I spent two and a half years in Gainesville, and I earned a graduate degree in counseling. I earned a master's degree a specialist degree, and then I stopped two-thirds of my way toward a Ph.D. Now, here's what's so interesting. Does God control everything? Come on, talk at me. Does God control everything? Well, in my undergraduate degree, I earned uh, a degree in communications. I learned how to what? How to talk. In my graduate degree, I learned how to what? To listen in counseling. What are the two major things any pastor has to do? Talk and listen. You know, God was working through it all. And then at the end of my two-and-a-half years in Gainesville, God did a number on my heart, folks. You're going to be just like your father echoing in my brain. I don't want to have anything to do with what my father did. And then God did a number on my heart. Has God ever backed you into a corner and you had no other place to go but him? I had a girl I thought I was going to marry reject me. Can you believe that? Nice guy like me? I mean, I'm such a nice guy. I don't want anything to do with you. Okay, fine. And I was in that corner going, Lord, what? And he just brought me to my knees. And I know some of you are going to think this is really weird. But I heard a voice. It was as real as I'm standing here today. That voice said to me, David, don't you know that before the foundations of the earth, I created you to proclaim my gospel? And then the voice said, are you ready for an exciting adventure called my dad and mom I said, I think God just called me into the ministry. <laughs> mom told me later my dad cried when I said that on the phone. My dad never cried. a wonderful man but so staid, so proper, but he cried. I think he knew that God had a call on my life from my earliest days. And so I went to Columbia Theological Seminary in Atlanta. And I spent that first year there studying. At the end of that first year, a guy comes up to me that I hardly knew. He was a bit weird. I've been trying to reach out to him about Jesus. He didn't believe. And he said to me, I've got a girl I want you to meet. Your auras match. (laughs) He said, yours is green and hers is gold. Your auras match. I mean, God will use anybody, folks, to accomplish his purposes. And he kept bugging me to call her. So finally I called her. We met, three months later we're engaged, nine months later we're married. I broke every rule of dating and marriage I tell all of you to do, give it the test of time, but hey, 40 years later, my beloved Marilyn is my wife. You can praise God for that one. So we got married and moved to Charlotte, which begins Forest Hills part of God's story. And I preached my first sermon from Joshua 1.9 because, again, we were told that it would be very difficult to have this church grow. Uh, they didn't have anybody in the nursery. There was one baby in the nursery. Uh, by the way, her name is Abby Ren Lesher. She's now married to Todd Lesher, our head of family ministries here. But on a good Sunday, she was the only baby in the nursery. And, and we didn't have much future from for young people. But we just believed if you preach the gospel and love people, that God will start drawing folks. And that's what we did. Uh, interestingly, my first sermon was Joshua 1.9. You know, be strong, be courageous. God's with you wherever you go. Cast a big vision. Dream what God can dream and see what he can do. And so right after that service was over... There's Marilyn and me meeting with some of the dear saints of this church. My hair was a little bit darker then. I don't understand that. Uh, My wife's every bit as beautiful. And then we continued to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ here in the church. It was an A-frame church on Woodlawn Road; doesn't exist anymore now. Uh, it has turned into apartment facilities. When we moved out here in 1986, the church began to grow. We'd gone from about 100 to six, seven hundred. And we bought this property here on Park Road. And I think there's an aerial view of what it looked like then. Uh, we had again like six, seven hundred people come. We filled up three services here on this campus, and then. We continued to grow over the next years. And in 1998, we decided we wanted to build something bigger. This facility we're presently worshiping in. We broke the ground on it in 1998. You need to know before we broke the ground that we did two things. We built an inner city church for some folks really in need. And secondly, we started planting churches all over the area. Then we built this sanctuary to try to accommodate the numbers who were coming. After this was built, we continued to grow until 2008. Believe it or not, this room was totally filled in three services. There wasn't a place to be found. We had to use buses bringing people from Huntingtown Farms Elementary, Quail Corner Shopping Center here on campus because there wasn't enough parking. So we asked the question, what are we gonna do now? And there was a new movement called the multi-site movement. And we decided, well, let's be a part of that. You know, me and others on video screens taking this campus to other parts of the community. So we set a vision. 10 years out, and we said, we want to plant four more campuses. We want to do it in Ballantyne, Fort Mill, Waxhaw, and then we looked at the South Boulevard area that later became Uptown. And we thought, that's a big vision. And so we set out on it. And people asked me then, uh, have you thought about retirement? Dear friends, let me tell you something. I don't ever think about retirement. I do not think God calls ministers of the gospel to retire. For me, he just calls me to refire. And so we set this vision for ourselves to do that. Well, 2008, 2018, most of you know, we've now planted campuses in Ballantyne, Fort Mill, Waxhaw. On the way, we decided, hey, let's do a campus in a more fragile area. So we purchased a church on South Boulevard and turned that into a Latino campus. It's now full-fledged operating. And then we moved South Boulevard into the uptown campus area because we wanted to be have, have more of an uptown presence. Dear friends, I just want to tell you, Over the last 10 years, when we cast that vision in 2008, we have quadrupled in the numbers of people who come here as a part of Forest life and ministry. Would you praise him for that? You need to know we have quadrupled plus the budget that has come in. And have I told you two things? First of all, have I told you we're debt-free? We built all of those campuses without any debt because here's the deal. You can either spend your money on mortgage or mission. We chose to spend our money on mission, and God still brought in the money we needed to not go into debt. Secondly, we give away almost 20% of our income to third parties that doesn't bless Forest Hill but blesses the world for Jesus. We literally give away millions upon millions of dollars to third-party causes. Praise God for that, would you please? Because that allows us to set parameters around ourselves, no debt, 20% away, that won't allow us to start spending stuff on us. So here we are, 2018. What's next? Some of you say, retire? No! Refire. You know, I'll retire when God takes me home. Because heaven's going to be perfect, and there's not going to be a need for a preacher of the gospel anyway up there, okay? So I want to keep going. What's our part of the story now? Over the next years, we want to continue to place campuses all throughout the area. Why? Because our vision is to... Empower and transform communities with the hope of the gospel. So if we can put campuses where there are literally hundreds, even thousands of people, the Fort Mill campus right now has 1,700 people coming on a weekly basis. Can you believe that? And the Waxhaw campus has 1,000, and Ballantine has 1,000. Can you praise God for all of those things? Would you? And in those campuses, you see, we have a presence in those communities where people live there and then they take the gospel that's inside of them out to care for their community and their communities will be transformed. So we want to do more and more of that debt-free and for the glory of God. We want to go to major cities around the world and we want to plant churches that are gospel-centered because all over the world immigrants are moving into these major cities and need a gospel presence. Uh, We want to go to the unreached people's groups of the world. 6,000 of them have never heard the name of Jesus. My hope is in the next 10 years there will be dozens, hundreds, maybe even thousands that hear about Jesus because of the Forest Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. That's the Great Commission. Jesus said, go in all the world. And if you're not going, you're probably an imposter. God's called us. To go and we want to do that. Uh, we also want to be a part of the needs of the poor. We want to help those who need to be upwardly mobile in all of their different communities become upwardly mobile. We want to see that happen. Caring for the poor, the needy, the oppressed, and the disenfranchised. We want to have a special heart for Gen Z and millennials. Now, now, how many of you who are a little bit older want your grandchildren to know Jesus? Come on, raise your hand. Man, I've got five of them. I want them all to love Jesus. Well, we're going to have to change some things if we want to reach them. And sometimes that might cause some of us that are a little bit older to to say, ouch, that's not my style. It doesn't matter what my style prefers. It's what's important in reaching people for Jesus. And some of you who are a little bit younger sometimes will do things, you'll go, oh, what's that all about? But the truth is younger people need to learn how to love older people. And older people need to learn how to love younger people. And together we're the one body of Christ, right, that loves Jesus collectively together. So we're going to try to figure all those things out as we move outward. Now, now how do you become a part of it? Where's your story? Well, first of all, you believe the gospel. You believe the gospel. Romans 1.16, you're not ashamed of the gospel. What's the gospel in case you don't know it? I'm a miserable sinner. I have screwed up my life. I've screwed up the lives of a lot of people around me. I feel guilt and shame over that. And I need forgiveness. I go to Jesus and the cross, and he takes all of that Muck upon himself and gives me his forgiveness forever. And I'm a new creation. The old's passed away and the new has come. So you enter God's kingdom through the gospel. You enter this plan that God has for your life through the gospel. Then, secondly, once you have that, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You become a gospel carrier. In John 15 language, you abide in Jesus and Jesus abides in you. You're filled with his life and your life is filled with him you know that he has a plan for your life. And then wherever he calls you, in your neighborhood, your workplace, or maybe something bigger, he's going to take you there and use you for his glory. We have a guy right now that went on a missions trip to Nepal, and he wanted to help stop sex trafficking. He was so blown away. His life was so wrecked there. When he saw what was going on, he came back to the States. He sold everything, and he's now going on the mission field in Nepal. Now, you might not be called to do something that dramatic, but the point's made, isn't it? When you're filled with the gospel, you become a gospel carrier to wherever God may call you to go. Where's your mission field? Between your feet. It might be dramatic around the world. It might be just to your next-door neighbor. But we want to call you to go give your life away. You find your life when you lose your life in something bigger than yourself, something bigger. Aren't you tired of the same old, same old? Aren't you tired of buying the lie that you've got to have more to be successful in life? So many of us have accumulated junk through the years that we're not going to take with with us to heaven. We we bought the lie that to have more means more. Aren't you tired of that? Don't you want something that's real, purposeful, meaningful? That's what we want to try to give you. So over the next years until Jesus comes back again, have I told you Jesus is going to come back again? Until he comes back again, here's what we're going to do at Forest Hill. Every month we're going to offer every week Four classes. Here's the first one, and I'm covering them during my messages in September. The first one's going to be God has a plan for your life. The second one next week is going to be, but you need other people to help you. The third week is going to be dis- discover your spiritual gift. God has uniquely wired you like no other person, and he's given you a spiritual gift. We want you to find that spiritual gift and claim it as your own, which leads to the fourth week, then we'll look at all the opportunities that are available to you to go serve and give your life away. We're having some people right now who've already learned about this coming to us and saying, I've been doing this in a job for years, and God's stirring something within me, and I think he's calling me to this as a vocation, as a calling. And do you think that's something that maybe I could do? And we're going, you go for it. Because God might be calling you to a ministry that you're forming in your heart right now. We want to help you be set free to go serve a dying world. And what would that look like? It means that we release people in all these different campuses and all their communities who will go and say, where there's hunger, I want to give food. Where there are prisoners, I want to go visit them. Where there's need for water, I want to offer." them. Where there are the naked, I wanna give clothes. Where there are the despairing, I wanna give hope. Where there are broken marriages, I wanna help heal them. Where there are singles who need a purpose, I wanna help them define it and find it. Not in a person. Singles, can I say this again? And I had to go through this when I was rejected. Rejection is God's protection. When I didn't sign that contract for the fourth year, I thought my life was ruined. Looking back, if God hadn't put me in a parenthesis, not only in Europe but in Florida and that one year in seminary, I'd have never met Marilyn. If I hadn't been rejected and seen that rejection as God's protection, I never would have met Marilyn. There wouldn't be three children and five grandchildren right now and counting, by the way, hopefully. God wouldn't have had us meet unless there was that time apart. And I believe this with all my heart. Instead of trying to find the right person, become the right person. Seek after Jesus. Be conformed to his image. And I found this too. So many of the people I know who've met their spouse, met their spouse when they were serving. When they were giving their lives away. Because they met somebody who wanted to give their lives away. The most successful marriages are two people who aren't trying to drink from each other to find their purpose. They're two people who are coming together trying to find a way they can serve together. Can you imagine not an audience that comes listens to great music or preachers or whatever, but an army unleashed for the glory of God? Can you imagine in the next 10 years that we'll quadruple again in people and money? I dare say in the year 2030, if I'm still here, hope I am, that this place will have changed the world For the glory of Jesus. I believe that. Now here's the final question. Do you want to be a part of that? Then go through these four steps. Find your gift, find your calling, and go. Because the truth is, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not a missionary, you're an imposter. Let me read these verses to you as we conclude. From Isaiah 43, listen to this. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a a new thing. Now it springs forth beginning today. Do you not perceive it? I will make a new way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. For the glory of God in Jesus. Let's find our story in his story for his glory. Amen and amen. Would you give God praise? Would you please?